Time once again for T. Watson TR on the Bama Online Podcast. It is a Wednesday, March the 22nd, 2023. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL alongside site publisher, recruiting editor, Tim Watt. And Tim, tomorrow it's going to be 3-2-3-2-3. Do you put anything into numbers like that? Not that folks in the state of Alabama have to worry about a lottery, right? But... Are you a numbers guy when it comes to things like that? Do you believe there's a connection in maybe the uh, the the stratosphere, the universe that that brings things about based on those type of numbers? Man, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think if you're a smart guy and a numbers guy, you can probably connect just about anything together. Um, uh, over the course of history, you can string along some without probably coincidences or or, or ill-timed things but no I don't really pay attention I mean the only numbers that ever really stuck with me was the 666 my mom uh, a religious lady would not mess with the 666 and <laughs> she was uh, she wanted to send her credit card back because it was 6686 and we oh, were wow. saying it's got to be in a row mom it's got to be like in a row um, we're at Burger King one time and she ordered, and the order was six sixty six. That's how long ago it was. It was six dollars and sixty six cents, and she bought an uh, a McDonald's <laughs> apple pie to get it off that number. Oh man, I don't. I didn't need much of an excuse back in the day to buy those apple pies, man. So that uh, would uh, that would definitely put me in her boat. Even the McDonald's six dollars and sixty six cents was. Uh, she was getting off that. Yeah. She was getting off of it though. So that's really the only number that stood out to me. Numbers that stand out to Alabama fans these days involve men's basketball for the most part, as in 16, the sweet 16, Tim Watts, as Alabama advances to Louisville after a couple wins at Legacy Arena in Birmingham, staying on I-65, heading up to Louisville to take on a San Diego State team that, in doing a little bit of research and some watching of SDSU earlier today, uh, it's an athletic team. It's a very much defensive-oriented team. Uh, it's a team that probably shoots the three a little bit better than you might think. They don't shoot it as much, obviously, as Alabama, but some pretty good percentages for three or four of their guys. And I think toughness is a big part of what San Diego State is going to check for with Alabama. Seems like there's this undercurrent, at least, that opponents going into games against Alabama, Tim, are are of the belief that, you know what, we might be tougher than these guys. We might not be as athletic. We might not be as skilled. We might not be as deep. But our six or seven guys we've got, we feel like we can push Alabama around a little bit. Do you get that sense with some of these teams? I mean, they might think it, but that doesn't mean it's actually <laughs> I mean, it's, You know, there's a lot of been a lot of thoughts heading to a parking lot before, and then you're KO'd. But um, I would watch San Diego State. You know, I, I saw the last game. They were definitely better than the first game. But the Charleston – game, which I'm not sure anybody saw it, and I'm not saying they should have seen Charleston-San Diego State round one, um, but it was a game. You know, I got the Ford TV set up. I try to watch them all. That was a really good game, very competitive. Charleston's a good basketball team. I'm not 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 uh, knocking them at all. San Diego State, to me, they, they are athletic. They're, they're pretty, like, across the board. They don't have a super dynamic guy to me that's that much better. But, you know, Bradley's a good guard, obviously. But they've got all these guys not super – they look experienced. They've got age behind them. Um, they are athletic. They are going to challenge. I didn't see a lot of height out there, um, but it's a good to me. It's a good matchup for Alabama. I mean, it's it's 
you know, we're saying this on the message board that like every game at this stage is trouble, basically, right? You can't, there's nobody to me, there's nobody playing a game where it's a, just a, a no-brainer lock uh, that they're going to win. But, I mean, this is the kind of the scenario you would have, you know, if you pick preseason how Alabama could get to the Sweet 16, I think it's set up rather nice for them so far. I don't think Nate Oates could have asked for a better path to this point. Doesn't mean it's a shoe-in that Alabama is going to move on to Houston by the end of the weekend. But, yeah, when you look at the San Diego State team, it's more, I would say, about girth and bulk than it is length. So there's where the matchup will come in, too. Alabama's length. And, look, I think sometimes it's not overplayed that Alabama's long because it absolutely is. But it's got some muscle behind it, too. You know, this isn't just a bunch of seven-foot, 200-pound guys running around. There's some guys that Noah Clowney, despite being a freshman, he's advanced physically, still got some room to grow. I don't think there's any doubt about that in terms of strength and in bulk. But um, I think that's where San Diego State's going to try to challenge Alabama. You look at uh, some of their players, 225, 235, 240, Got a guard in Matt Bradley that's 6'4", 220 pounds, an older dude, a transfer from Cal. So, you know, it is going to be stylistically a, a game that's very interesting. But I guess, Tim, we've seen Alabama, regardless of style, regardless of how you want to play, still be able to get the job done. Yeah, I mean, you look at Alabama's schedule, it's been so sporadic, you know, and I, and, and I get, I mean, I guess if you're on the negative end, you can point out a three, four game run where Alabama wasn't as good as they usually were, you know, especially the end of the year, uh, SEC, those last three games. I've always maintained, I maintained it then and I still maintain Alabama knew they were going to win the SEC at that point. And they were kind of just going through the motions. They were kind of, you know, young, rather young team, kind of tired, just getting through the finish of that SEC. That's what I said when people were worried, and then you saw them light up in the SEC tournament. You've seen them light up in the in the NCAA tournament. And the thing I kind of like that's you know it's hard to you know you see that twenty point victory. If you just watch that final score these last five games or so, you see that big victory. But really, a lot of what you're getting is Alabama just sort of systematically like an anaconda squeezing the you know the, the you know the life out of the game for the other team because it's. It's five, it's seven, you know, we're hovering around there. And then all of a sudden it's 12, it's 13. And then there's a run and it's 24 and, and the game's over with eight minutes left to go. So obviously going to be, I mean, I've loved the tournament. I think it's a great matchup. Um, I'm excited. But then again, you know, I, I, I believe if preseason or preterm, if they said, Tim, Travis, this is the road Alabama's going to have to take. I think they'd be okay where they're at up to this stage. I think they're going pretty happy. And I think Maryland was a better team than people than uh, people gave them credit for with that end victory. But then again, you know, and also there's a certain part, you know, depending on personality where everybody's the boogeyman. You know, mm-hmm. I was reading the thread about how great Maryland was before Maryland and all that. And they were a good team. But I mean, at some point you have to acknowledge Alabama is the number one seed in this NCAA tournament. And they can't be scared of everybody. So, and I don't think they are as a team, no. But I get what you're saying from the fan base perspective. Do you remember? Do you remember earlier this year when Brandon Miller said we're the best team in the country, and then they lost like the next game, and you know people were being kind of snarky with them. I think this team has confidence for days, regardless, of, you know, regardless of what happens, you know, the outcome of any game. I think they have extreme confidence walking into any basketball game. And they should, because as we said, they can win uh, against different styles. And 
you know, you look at perhaps down the road and it's too early to really do that. But man, you think about some future opponents, especially if this team does make it to the final four and the rematch uh, scenarios that are out there. You look at the teams, I guess you, you said it, the schedule Alabama's played. Look at all these teams that Alabama played, uh, even in non-con that are still in the tournament, Michigan State, UConn, uh, Tennessee, um, you, you get Houston. I mean, it's 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 across the board with six, with just 16 teams left. And very close to a few others, like Auburn and them still being in this thing. So that tells you how tough that schedule was. I'm really excited for this, uh, this Thursday slate. The Friday slate's got the biggest spreads of the day. But this Thursday slate we're catching tomorrow. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be Arkansas, UConn. That's going to be one hell of a game. Tennessee, Florida Atlantic. I don't think you can sleep on Florida Atlantic either. Tennessee's been definitely Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde out there. And then Gonzaga and UCLA. Um, I mean, I've loved this tournament. I mean, you know, I mean, I yeah. know you're the same way. You love sports like I do. So love this tournament, the setup, the way it's went, um, everything that's happened so far. And so much, as we know, comes down to how games are called, right, from an officiating standpoint. And there's some teams that are still in this, like Tennessee, like a Michigan State. They're going to be very dependent, I think, upon how the games are called. And, boy, that Duke-Tennessee game, that Duke-Tennessee game was like the sequel of Gangs of New York, you know, down at the five points, right? And I already saw the Florida Atlantic coaches working that <laughs> game. Hey, and he's not wrong. Nope. Exactly. I'd be doing the same thing because it's you're season. you're the unknown quantity in this thing. Rick Barnes has been around forever. He's got those relationships. If I'm the FAU coach, I hear you, Tim. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in Tennessee, it's not like Tennessee doesn't know they have to get ugly. You know what I mean? Oh, they love it. You know, if yeah. this was boxing, they're not standing up and jabbing and, you know, walk, you know, floating like a butterfly, stinging like a bee. They're grabbing you, biting your ear, taking you to the ground, kneeing you in the back. I mean, they've got to get ugly to win. You know, they've got – they know it. I mean, Tennessee fans know it. The beat writers that cover Tennessee talk about it. So, yeah, but if they get one, you know, uh, call them touchy fouls, it's going to be a, it's going to be a rough day for Tennessee. Yeah, Yurt Kamwa, the uh, forward who was great against Duke for Tennessee, Olivier Kamwa, he said it after the game against Duke. We want to get you in the mud, and that's exactly what they're going to try to do to the Owls of FAU on Thursday. I'm with you, that Thursday slate, man. That's intriguing. You got Gonzaga, UCLA, and a West Coast war. Yeah, that'll definitely work. I mean, there's a lot of variety in this tournament, too. I mean, there's a lot of... I mean, there's a lot of teams we don't, you aren't as familiar with, obviously. Um, but there's a lot of teams that we've, we've seen, you know, for a long, long time growing up playing basketball. I mean, watching basketball. <laughs> I'll tell you, this Princeton-Creighton game, they can set some kind of record for, for back screens and three-point shots made. I mean, they are really <laughs> they are really a fun team. You can't leave either of those guys open. So um, even Xavier in Texas is going to, you know, it's going to be interesting. But SEC certainly did well. Auburn got beat. You know, in a rough one, kind of ran away from it at the end. Kentucky got took a really tough loss. So the SECs did really well, I think, so far. Man, a little uh, Noel, the point guard for Kansas State, he did a number on Kentucky. That dude's fun to watch. He's like 5'8", thinks he's 6'8", you know. And he can shoot it from the logo, though. I mean, he's not just this sort of Jameer Nelson, get into the paint, you know, old school sort of point guard. Um Kansas State's a team. You know, you got three teams left in the Sweet 16 that also played a New Year's Six 
bowls, three schools. You got Tennessee, Alabama, K-State. Those are the three that are left. So, Tim, um, the determining factor, you think, on Friday in this matchup with San Diego State, uh, is it is it the paint? Is it the backboards? Is it the fact that Alabama has the best player still in the tournament in college basketball and Brandon Miller? Or could it be another guy like a Javon Quinterly in the way he's played of late for Alabama? I don't think Alabama's completely dependent on the three. I know that was a that that's been said way too much, but I do feel that if Alabama makes the threes, it's a it's going to be a it'll be a it'll be a pretty decisive victory for Alabama, and I mean that for any game basically. So if Alabama shoots the ball well, I feel like they'll have a decided advantage. Um, and if not, it could be you know it could be a drag them out, fight them out like we've seen. We're just a you know the you know the best man wins at the end. Um, I don't think Alabama lacks for confidence going in here. I mean, even Mark Sears, I mean, the guy, you know, he is definitely struggling. I think he's had one good game in the last handful or whatever. But, man, he doesn't mind shooting it, and he still makes big ones. One thing about Sears I don't know if anybody's really paying attention to. Every game he has two, maybe three of the best assists of the whole game. Penetrate, Mm -hmm. bounce fast through the lane, little stuff like that to still contribute. But if Alabama's making its shots – and there's a lot of guys that can make the shot. And I wouldn't just entirely sleep on on Pringle. This could be a matchup for Pringle. That's an athletic, thick guy um, that could get in there and get his five fouls and you know, you know, threaten with the double double two. I think Pringle's a good point because he does have that sort of strength as you outlined, and that's more about what San Diego State's about down on the block. So this could be an important game to have that sort of depth to go along with Betty Ako and Clowney. Uh, Noah Gurley's done some good things of late uh, in, in sort of that role. Yeah, I like the man. I mean, I think it's exciting. I mean, you don't really get a chance to see teams like San Diego State. I think Alabama started out seven and a half um, point favorites. That's, I think that's the second biggest um, point spread. Um, well, Friday's all jacked up. I guess Houston's seven. Oh, yeah, Creighton's 10 over over Princeton, actually, like Princeton there. So Alabama's got a big spread, and, I mean, it's, you know, again, it's the matchup you kind of like. It's the match, you know, they came. Uh, um, they've been a team that's been very motivated uh, and, and hitting their stride just right. And when they're motivated and focused, I think that's the key to this team. When they sort of feel like their back's against the wall, or they got, a you know, a chance to showcase. Yeah, and you talk about motivated and focused. It should be an Alabama football team that took to the practice field for the first time this spring on Monday that's feeling that way following a two-loss season in which the Crimson Tide did not qualify for the college football playoff. Um, Your thoughts on the start of spring drills? What was your cringe level, maybe, and Nick Saban's comments um, in, in relation to the Tony Mitchell situation and and how you just knew I did anyway. I'm sure you felt the same way. As soon as Nick uh, made the comment about there's no such thing as the wrong place at the wrong time, you knew where this thing was headed. Let me tell you this. That say, I've heard that saying 10 billion times in my life. Wrong place, wrong time. I've never expected any controversy, let alone two of them. Although I do understand it. I mean, when I read it, I, I'm not I'm not a guy to think the worst of everybody. That's not me. I don't assume the worst when I see something on Twitter. I don't assume the worst when I see a partial quote and all that. I don't think Nick Saban did that at pur- on purpose. He's at every Alabama basketball home game. 
We know him and NATO have a, have a good relationship. I think he's just pissed that Tony Mitchell's in that situation. You know what I mean? And I can see me saying it and not not thinking about it. Like if like if my kid came in and said was in the same situation, said I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, I'd say that's bull. You know, that's crap. There's no way. That's not you're not in the wrong situation at the wrong time. I mean, I knew when I saw it. It was going to be a big deal, but I, I don't even, I mean, I think the Alabama fans, some of them made it a bigger deal than actually the media did. I mean, to me, it's pretty much died down today, or at least I haven't seen anything. I get why it was like, you definitely, definitely we didn't want to hear that. I don't, I think in hindsight, Nick Saban probably wished he hadn't said it. I'm sure he's had to deal with some stuff from that. Um, yeah. But so I don't think Nick Saban's out here watching NATO's and, and ready to like take a shot at him with some waiting on some opportunity to take a quote that he said earlier and in very bad light and then, you know, rub it in his face, basically. No, I, I agree with you. I, I, I don't. And I understand there there's a faction that will tell you, well, Nick is measured and everything he says has a purpose. Well, what he offered up was, as you said, a cliche that he probably began to hear in his lifetime before he was 10 years old in West Virginia from his father, Big Nick, you know, we have all heard that uh, since we were young and uh, he just sort of threw it out there. And uh, I, I agree. I mean, what we know about the relationship of Nick Saban and his connection to Alabama men's basketball flies completely in the face of this now narrative of, well, there it is. Nick kind of setting his basketball coach straight or setting the Alabama basketball coach straight. You know, the people who really believe that, though, Tim, are the people who dug in from the very outset of the revelation that Brandon Miller was on the scene of the incident back in January. And now, since there's been other things that have come to light in relation to that tragic incident, uh, yeah, that, that, that maybe point towards some positivity. Uh, with Brandon and maybe even Darius Miles. We'll see. I don't know. It, it's it's very much an evolving situation, which we've preached here uh, on the podcast and at, at BOL. Um, the, the the folks that are dug in, they're, they're going to, you knew they were going to take it and say, there you go. See, Nick's uh, basically doing what the yeah. basketball coach wouldn't do when it's not an apples to apples situation, but that doesn't matter. If you're in the media, if you're not willing to move with the information, if you dug in on some half-assed uh, look that you had, and then new information, isn't that your whole job? If you're yeah. covering the story, yeah, it's your whole job to update the information as it comes out. And there's been no further updates as more evidence came out. I mean, yeah. I mean, how do you not roll? I mean, with recruiting- well, until until Nick's comment, you know, but, oh, yeah. but there was a a big chapter or two was was glossed over by a lot of folks but then when nick made that statement there ah, ah, aha there you go you know yeah i just don't think they were willing to look at it from any other way and i mean it's okay to have information and have an opinion and then the information gets updated and you have a different opinion that's just being an adult how do you get different information and you just double down triple down and quadruple down is kind of what's been frustrating to me i mean or you don't double down, you double down, you triple down, and then you just go quiet. You know what I mean? Then you start worrying about Alvin Kamara getting arrested or something. You know, to me, that's just, I don't know, it's just chicken shit way to do things. I think you yeah. handle it 
It's okay to have – I have opinions when I get information. I don't run around screaming them from the rooftops necessarily on situations I don't know a lot about. But I feel like that, you know, if, to flip this, I feel like this situation could have happened in reverse. Let's be real. Nick Saban could have said what Nate Oates said. And then later on, Nate Oates, because we know he's flippant, and we know he, like, sometimes shoots from the hip, and Saban's that way when he's angry. Nate Oates could have said the same thing. And if it was reversed – I never would have thought Nate Oates was taking a shot at Nick Saban. Yeah. So I, and I don't see any gas. The one thing is like, what is the gain for NATO for Nick Saban to take a shot at Nate Oates? What does he gain? I can't even, I don't know anything. He's not more upset that Nick Saban's, that Nate Oates' team's in the Sweet 16. I don't think, you know, any of that comes into play, but... Uh, really wish that hadn't been said. What was that, Monday night? Random? Yeah, it's a shame more so because Alabama basketball is in the middle of this run, you know? Well, you just also had people start to look at the whole right. uh, situation from a different angle. For the first time, people started to look at it. Yeah. And then, like you said, you gave those people who were hunkered down, who were, you know, who decided along. Threw them a, threw them a scrap. Yeah, yeah threw they, them a needed scrap. Yeah, but, that. That's the thing. And I'm not saying the Alabama fans that aren't irritated with it being said don't have a right. I was irritated. I was minding my business on Monday. And I said, <laughs> oh, broke loose. I said, Lord, my goodness. Yeah. Watch his shows in peace. I, okay. I'll go ahead and predict that, you know, there's Pro Day at Alabama on Thursday. We need to talk about that a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but if Nick is available to the local media, especially, and maybe even the national folks that are undoubtedly going to be in attendance. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he revisits that um, in some form or fashion. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he does it in his next spring practice opportunity. Um, but, yeah, I, I tend to lean towards the unwittingly uh, side of that with Nick and those comments. People kind of thought the worst of Nick Saban so quickly. You know, I mean, again. Now they I mean, love him. Now, but there's folks out there that have bashed Nick Saban now that are, it, yeah, this whole it. thing is made for such interesting bedfellows in general, right? Oh, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. I can't forget who tweeted it, one of the Alabama beat writers, but he tweeted out that the video of Nick Saban admitting he didn't know the day before was election day. I know people. Yeah, it was think, Kevin Skarbinski. I think, yeah. I, yes, Kevin Skarbinski. I think the guy lives in a bunker. I don't yeah. think this guy is out here paying a whole lot of attention. I've known. 50 coaches who work for him, you know, I know, I know plenty of people that know him. He lives in his own world. Not that he's distant, but what he likes, he lives in that football building. And what he does at home is what he does at home. It's not the same as normal people. And I think that's hard for some to think. I mean, he doesn't watch Netflix. He doesn't have seven streaming apps, I imagine. <laughs> he doesn't have 12 bookmark websites that he checks every day. I think he has people filling him in. I think he lives a busy life. And he's also an older guy. He stays in the vacuum. Yeah, so I'm not, I don't think anybody's at fault here. Not, for, I mean, people that – I just found it odd that people would think that it was intentional. And I don't know. I couldn't understand the benefit of going after Nate Oates. You know, I couldn't. No, you know. there there was none because that, that wasn't the intention. I think I uh, those of us that kind of know this deal know that. But I get why Alabama fans, some were irritated because it was quiet. And then we said, you know, you know, we – Set it off again. We'll get into more of the uh, Alabama football stuff in the mailbag coming up in just a little bit because it is a it is a big well, one. The mailbag this time around. Thursday, right? What's that? 
Pro Day Thursday? Pro Day is, yes, tomorrow, yeah. Thursday. Yeah. Did you see the video of DJ Fluker? Yeah, it's nuts. Wow. Looks great. Wow. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for wow. him as much in terms of his personal health than I am even his potential comeback. I mean, that's great, and that wow. would be an he incredible looks, story, but like just to see him in that good a shape is, is a good thing. You know? He looks like a professional wrestler. And that could be next, you know? He, it could. He was, you know, thick, tall. I mean, we know how big he is, but, I mean, he was thick, healthy, yeah. good muscle. Um, so he's going to get that opportunity. I mean, what's the, what's the biggest things we're looking for? Eli Ricks, to me, is he running? Uh, I would think so. He kind of has to. Although, I mean, you know, there's going to be another pro day. Alabama and other places, typically now they have two. They have one for basically the public. A weeks later, yeah. And then a couple weeks later, they'll have one that isn't. You know, to me, the, 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 the biggest thing that could come from it is that if for some reason Bryce didn't have a good day throwing the football, which to me is just seemingly totally unlikely to happen. So uh, I'll be interested to see who takes part in what, because some of these Alabama guys didn't do certain things up in Indianapolis. Um, but if I'm Bryce, you know, there, there's so much talk about CJ Stroud and, you know, Will Levis, even still Anthony Richardson, just rocketing up. Um, draft mock drafts I, I don't i still don't see it with anthony richardson but you know i mean that is i mean he i saw him at four i've seen him as high as one i think that guy's just trying to get clicks but i've seen him up to four. do any of these people watch college football by the way or do they just watch do they start watching college players at the combine that that's my thought when i see some of that i don't know i mean i i mean i know that like a they lot watch of, the splash plays that come across twitter yeah, the little clips twitter, right you know, if you took Twitter off a lot of experts, and I'm talking about team writers and everybody, recruit everybody. If you took that off, those highlights, that's all they were. That a lot, that's a lot of all they see. I tell you this, I'll never forget. This is case in point. Saquon Barkley returned to kickoff. This shows you how friggin' fraudulent this world is, media-wise at times. Saquon Barkley returned to kickoff against Iowa. I'm sure you remember. It was beautiful. It was fantastic kickoff return. Everybody started saying he's the Heisman, best running back ever. It was everywhere, everywhere. I think he had 41 yards rushing on 20-something carries. They never knew that. They saw a <laughs> turn. It was friggin' ridiculous. They he saw had, the burst. They saw the burst. burst. But they, what I'm saying, he had that. We're talking Heisman. Ain't no Heisman would ever have 40 yards rushing in a game. You know, so that was that's kind of when I knew, like, hey, we're we're a little bit different level. Um, with this, I don't know. I mean, I get the you know the Anthony Richardson. I mean, unbelievable athlete, but man, he's just there's nothing football wise. I mean, when you and I were growing up, he'd been a third or fourth round pick at best. Mm -hmm. And I don't mm -hmm. even long ago. I mean, that's, it was just a few years ago where you know Jalen went second and Russell Wilson was going third, and you know Patrick Mahomes went tenth and Watson went eleventh or something like that. They're talking about this guy higher than Mahomes and Watson. Yeah. I mean, yeah. World, and I get quarterback. It's a quarterback world, but it's let me be. It's a good quarterback world. <laughs> they just well, and, and somebody will reach. So oh, you know it. There, all it takes is one. And I'll be I'll be surprised if he doesn't go top eight. Yeah. You know, he's at a, this he point now, he's an unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Athlete. His thing was insane. And I, and I get his highlights are really good. 
but there's just not that many there's of There's some inexplicable stuff and some game management issues. You still have to manage the game as a quarterback, too. And, you know, I, I think he's he's still developing in those areas. I'm not saying he's reached his ceiling. Yeah, you can coach some of that into a guy. Um, but there is just some inexplicable things. And he's also got a history of some injuries during his time at Florida that, that kept him off the field. Now, last year, he did a good job of staying on the field more. But, um, you know, if I'm Bryce, I'm just like, okay, I, I've got basically two to three times the tape, okay, of the next two guys on your board. And if you want to take a shot at Will Levis and C.J. Stroud, you know, C.J. Stroud's game against Georgia apparently was just enough for a lot of people to say he's the number one pick. And I get it in terms of measurables, bigger, taller, those type of things. But you know what? Bryce had that game two years ago against a better Georgia defense, Tim. And so the tape, if you want to go against the tape and lean towards, well, Bryce is only 5'10 and a little bit. He's right around 200 pounds. If you want to fly in the face of the tape, have right at it. Yeah, I would. Um, I mean, I'm obviously, obviously a Bama guy, but I, w- I would take Bryce. I, that would be the one I, I would live and die with Bryce. I don't have a huge problem with Stroud to be honest with you, but I don't think he's proven what Bryce has proven. I don't either, but if it came down to the two, I'm taking Bryce just because of tape. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, tape. I'm, not, I'm not I'm not big into that if he was six foot tall. You know what I mean? There's a lot of back quarterbacks yeah. six feet tall. So if he was two inches taller, I'm not, I mean, I haven't, it wasn't a concern for him in high school where he played the toughest schedule in the country. It wasn't a concern for him when he played in the toughest conference in the country in college football, I think the guy will be fine. Now, partly, I want him, I want Alabama to have number one guy. That'd be cool. But also, I don't think it would hurt my feelings to have him with Robert Mechie, who hopefully is due back with a, hopefully having a going to have a, a big season. D'Amico Ryans, Christian Harris. It's a lot of Alabama flavor over on that team, so I don't think uh, that would be the worst thing. And I'm not sure how well Carolina is set up, but the truth is, Neither situation is ideal for, for, for Bryce or Stroud at that one and two right now. Um, yeah, Car- Carolina's making some moves, and you're right. John Mechie would just be – boy, that would be one of the top stories in the NFL for him to, to come back from his situation and, yeah, and, and do some good Mechie, things. You know, we said this because Mechie kind of got overlooked his whole career at Alabama because he was always playing with a freaky first-round pick. You know, he was always – surrounded but there was nobody that was more of a safety blanket for Bryce Young in his career at Alabama than um than Robert Mechie yeah Bryce was in trouble and Bryce was scrambling they had that where to find that hole and uh I'll never forget the Florida fumble when uh, when they threw the interception and he turned into he turned into Ray Lewis and just absolutely hammered down to get the ball back. So that would be good. But I get I get it. Carolina would be an easier, you know, trip for Alabama fans that are in the South that want to see them. But I think it's been a good debate, but I don't think the debate and also let's be clear, if he was and don't this happened with Trevor Lawrence. We all knew Trevor Lawrence was going number one. And at times the media was trying to say, not so fast, my friend. And you know, most of us were like cut Justin the crap. Fields. Yeah, cut the crap. We're not believing that. Now there was a legitimate discussion with number two with Trey Lance and, uh, you know, Mac Jones, that was a legitimate discussion. But, I mean, also, it's going to be kind of boring if they say, 
Bryce is number one and we're done with it. There's going to be some debate. I still think Bryce is up for number one. I have no inside information like that other than I've talked to several NFL teams and Bryce was the higher quarterback rated on their board. But that doesn't mean that that's – I don't know anybody with Carolina. It doesn't mean he's number one with Carolina, and that's all it takes. Bradley Bozeman also re-signed with the Panthers. So uh, what a connection there. You want to talk recruiting rankings? Bradley Bozeman, he was completely forgotten in recruiting. Everybody thought they took Bradley just to get Reuben Foster because, oddly enough, they were really close. How how about the career pass for them in the NFL? Not in college. Uh, obviously, you know, you know, Ruben was fantastic. But in the NFL, who would have thought Bradley would play all these years where Ruben, you know, Ruben would be caught up and, and uh, tied down with injuries and just, you know, not even in the league now. I mean, what a what a wild story, you know, that is. Yeah, it is. Ruben, absolutely. That is absolutely uh, recruiting. By the way, what percent, what's your odds? I want your percentage odds that if Al Davis was alive, what percentage would he draft Anthony Richardson? Oh, gosh. It would be up there, man. Um, <laughs> well, if 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 Al had the, the number one overall pick is what you're saying? I'm saying if he didn't, I think he'd go get that number one pick. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, I would say that uh, Jimmy G wouldn't be uh, a Raider here recently uh it would it wouldn't surprise me at all to see al go up there he was an original one i'm missing well i mean he took um he took our guy out of mobile number one didn't he yeah he took jamarcus wasn't jamarcus a raider number one overall absolutely he was he took so he loved jamarcus uh he would have loved uh anthony richardson absolutely i remember he took a maryland wide receiver drawing a blank on his name because he was super fast. He was fast at the combine, but he was expected to go in like the second day, third round, maybe even. Mm-hmm. Um, and he took him top 10, I believe. Darius Hayward Bay, was that? Bay. Him? Yeah, Darius Hayward Bay he could fly. Killed the, he killed the combine. I remember reading, a guy made a joke and said, this has Raiders pick all over it. And <laughs> enough, they they got him at 10. So, uh, but yeah, he did draft Jamarcus. Um, but yeah, NFL draft-wise, pro day, Pretty exciting. Eli Ricks, to me, I really want to see. I'm curious what he runs, what he tests, all that kind of stuff, because I think he's a good football player, but I don't think his testing is super well. I think he's a very specific fit. If you want a corner that can get up and play press man and 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 do that and get physical at the line of scrimmage, he, he could be a fit for you. I, I don't know about any other aspect of cornerback play, though, with him. Yeah, he's got all that stuff. Because so. I'm with you. I don't know what he's going to run. I mean, if he's a four-seven corner, you know, um, what are you going to do with him? I don't know for sure he is. That's what I suspect he is, and I might be wrong. Now, if he's four-five, it's going to be different uh, ball game. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a different ball game now. So, what are we looking forward to with spring? You mentioned that earlier, and we kind of skipped through. Well, I think the offensive line, and we were going to talk about it uh, coming up a little bit later. We've got a question okay. about that in the mailbag, so. Uh, we can sort of cover that as we move along. But before we do that, I know you, you were into that uh, World Baseball Classic tournament, man. It, it it did. It moved the needle. You know, that's an event that's been around for a while and hasn't received all that much attention. But it seems like we've seen better players. Um, I don't think that was uh, a U.S. Major League Baseball all-star team, but Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, 
right? Oh, yeah. I mean, At bad, there were some guys on that U.S. team, and that was a hell of a game in the championship with Japan on Tuesday night. Well, I had this on the side TV when I was watching the other stuff. I knew they were playing, so I was just I had it on, and I looked up and I was like, "Holy crap, that's Trey Trey Thompson, Clay Thompson's brother, playing for like Canada or somebody." And I was like, "What the hell is going on?" The next game, I saw Jock Peterson, former mm-hmm. Brave. And for Israel, I believe. <laughs> like, what is going on here? You know, I got all these, you know, all this stuff happening, and then uh, loved it. I mean, I absolutely loved it. I thought the U.S. didn't do itself justice with pitching, um, but Japan, I mean, they were they were a really good baseball team. I mean, they had great pitchers. I mean, they got Yu Darvish, they had Otani. You know, they got other guys. They got that young guy, Roki, twenty-one year old. That. Uh, they had a great game with Mexico. They stymied, you know, the U.S. They missed several, several opportunities last night. The U.S. did. I think they almost doubled them in hits, but just didn't capitalize on it. And um, I think they had two solo home runs and seven or eight hits. Otherwise, they had the, a couple guys on base every inning. But the excitement around it, um, you know, and I had, a, I had a friend of mine who's a, actually a baseball guy texted me like how in the world can japan beat alabama i mean alabama beat united states and baseball he said they just started playing i was like dude they've been playing over yeah. years never heard of sadahara oh i was apparently. like getting japanese baseball i've watched otani you darvish i watched his i've watched these guys there they are some of the i'm telling you if you guys have a chance to witness a uh, japanese baseball game I, it's worth watching it the crowd is lively uh, open. It's almost like it's almost like uh, football in Europe. The crowd, you know. Yeah, it is. They like it. Participatory. And, I mean, yeah. a lot of people got a taste of it. I think. Well, I did. You know, I, Korean baseball during COVID. I mean, those guys are at a different level um, when it comes to the basic things like bunting and fundamentals and and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, they don't have the big natural athletes the U.S. does. And I'm not saying this is good as American baseball. American baseball players are obviously really good, and you know the Latin countries too. But those Asian countries love baseball. I mean, they love it. It's been around. Why I text him? I give him a history lesson. I was like, dude, they well, look can- at a little league World Series throughout the years. Well, for crying out loud, Taiwan. He was amazed. He's like, how come I haven't heard of it? I said, I don't know why you follow. <laughs> I mean, most people don't follow Japanese baseball. I just. I like it. I like the I like the the, mm-hmm. I like the crowd participation. Um, you know, I like I love how much they're into it. So just you know, a really good um, fun experience. And then you can't write you can't write up three two bottom of the ninth three two count Otani pitching to Mike Trout at the plate. That's mm-hmm. that movie. Mean you'd be like, yeah, whatever. That's not ever going to happen. And it happened last night. Otani with that 100 mile per hour fastball, and then he comes with that wipeout slider on a 3-2. I mean, that's not fair. Trout got did that way a couple times uh, Tuesday night. He had a 3-2 earlier, uh, and the guy's throwing 96, and then he mixes in a splitter that falls off the table on a 3-2. It's a couple of tough at-bats for Mike. Yeah, well, that's one thing I like about the, you know, the Korean League was that way. They have all these different pitches. I mean, they have a fastball, mm-hmm. but it's certainly not. Most of them aren't what we're used to seeing from the, from the, you know, from the Otanis and DeGrom and those guys hitting the 98 to, to, to triple figures. Um, but they all have like the nasty. I mean, if you've got a 94 hour, 94 mile an hour, four seam fastball, you can spot. And then some nasty off speed pitch that drops in the dirt curves away from you. I mean, you're going to, 
and they have a lot of that. So there's you got to be real. You got to have really good back control to put that in play. Not as much power. It's more about you remember Ichiro. You know, it's more about getting the ball in play than it was driving it anywhere. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I had a. Uh, I mean, I was. I, I enjoyed it. So they need to play that. I don't know how it even works with how they they locate that. They need to play that in Miami every time because. You talk about an, uh, a global city, an international city, in terms yeah. of the population makeup. Uh, the crowds were just phenomenal. You know, I went to I went to the WBC. wasn't even planning on it. Family, we were out in San Diego area, probably 15 years ago or so on spring break, and they just so happened to be playing the WBC that year at Petco, or playing games in the WBC at Petco. And so I'd never been to Petco, so we all went. You know, we watched the game. I don't even remember the countries that were playing. There couldn't have been 10,000 people at the game at Petco. But, man, the crowds in Miami, it was – there was a lot to like, although I think the Mets probably didn't like the WBC this time around. Edwin Diaz, man, the closer for the Mets with the knee injury and the celebration post-game following that Puerto Rico-Dominican Republic game. And it looks like he's out for the season, man. That's a tough blow for the Mets. I had a couple, like, I, I had the same reaction. Everybody had the same reaction. Was that ends the Stars playing in the WBC? And then I read a little, you know, a guy that's a basketball guy that said everybody said that after Paul George injury in the Olympics. That's a, it's a great point. Paul George, not only did the athletes still, the great players still play on the U.S. Olympic team, Paul George came back. Mm-hmm. Also, the thing about his injury was he could have did that in the in the living room with his kids celebrating the sun got an A bouncing around on your ankles like that. It just snapped. I mean, it was the, it wasn't like anything happened to cause it. You know, it's not like all two, you know, out two a for the Astros. He was hit by a pitch. He's got a fractured hand. He's out for a while. That's a bait. That's, that's something that wouldn't have happened if he wasn't playing baseball, but Edwin Diaz, he could have that happen. Jumping off the second step, you know, uh, you know, landed, you know, landed at the house, just, you know, a bad luck. And, um, yeah, the Mets, which are a low. I mean, I'm telling you, this East, this NL East is in bananas. Trey Turner mm-hmm. was bananas in that. Tra- Five home runs in the WBC for Trey Turner. In Phillies, as a Braves fan. Phillies fans got to feel good about their guys. Yeah, Phillies are going to be strong. That's just. Although they're without Ben, right? For a little bit, for a while. Um, who? Bryce? Bryce Harper, yeah. my bad. No, no, I was I was blanking out too. Yeah, they're without Bryce for a little while. I'm not. I know he's supposed to come back this year. Um, San Diego's going to be a good team. There's a lot of. There's a lot. It kind of reminds me of like the, uh, you know, the NBA. Everybody's in the West. It seems everybody's in the West. The best teams with the most depth are in the West. It's kind of the way it's shaking up in baseball now in the National League. In a lot of ways, you're seeing the Dodgers. You know, Dodgers are loaded. San Diego's loaded. You know, the teams in the East are loaded. I mean, you're seeing a lot of – I mean, there's talent in, you know, both sides, obviously, but it just seems like more is drifting that way. Um, yeah, the music fan in me, I went Ben Harper there for a minute. You know, I, I do that sometimes. You gotta, yeah, I, I was blanking too. I was like, <laughs> yeah. The Phillies would probably love to have Ben Harper, you know, maybe sing the national anthem or something, but definitely need Bryce back in that lineup. Is, you've known so many people, so you start to blend them together. <laughs> I, mean, I do it all the time. They'll tell you when I get a recruit's name wrong, it's over. I'll call him that the whole year. Oh yeah, yeah, I hear you. It it, it doesn't get uh, it doesn't get better as you get older, by the way. So, 
Hey, let's head into the mailbag. Let's do that. We've got plenty of questions that await us there, Tim. We do that on the roundtable there at BamaOnline.com. And as always, we appreciate each and every one of you who take the time to contribute to the mailbag. And our guy, Tuscaloosa, going to start it up again. And he asks, guys, are you concerned about Alabama's inability to shoot the mid-range jumper as the Crimson Tide faces SDSU. Yeah, you know, I don't think it's an inability maybe to shoot the mid-range jumper, Tim, as it is, it's just not what Alabama does. Threes and freeze. And hey, look, free throws count as a mid-range shot, don't they, Tim? And Alabama seems to make more of those these years than it has in the past. Oh, yeah. I mean, they just, you know, the, you know, I, I, I find that interesting because, you know, Last year, when Alabama obviously had a, a season that was uh, uh, underachieved, I think everybody would agree, underachieved last year. Um, still had his highlights, but underachieved. Remember, it kind of came down to, yeah, you should be shooting them mid-range jumpers. I mean, it's a it's a proven. If you have somebody, and I didn't really understand it um, at first when Nate Oates said it. I mean, I was taught, you know, ball fake, dribble twice, shoot the jumper. Um shoot the open 15-footer. So that's what I always knew. But when people sit down and explain it to you, the percentages, and Nate Oates can explain and other people's stuff on YouTube, it makes sense mathematically just to chuck, you know, to, to shoot it from deep. So um, obviously Tuscaloosa is playing with us there. You know. <laughs> he likes to do that. He did uh, also ask or uh, had a comment. Elijah Pritchett lined up at left tackle to open spring practice. That created a pre- pretty dynamic OL group. Uh, what are our thoughts on that move? Well, Elijah Pritchett actually finished the 2022 season at left tackle. I wrote about this in the position thoughts on the tackles that I did for BamaOnline.com a couple weeks ago. Uh, you saw him even at the end of the Kansas State game come in there and uh, sub out for Tyler Steen at left tackle. So it's a position he's worked at. Um, I think the the inclination is or has been that J.C. Latham would go from the right side to the left. And I guess what I'd say, Tim, is it's the first day of spring practice. I'm sure there were some different combinations like a Darian Dahlcourt maybe working at guard alongside Seth McLaughlin. Um, but as we know, things can change between the first day of spring practice and and the, the season opener. I love I loved Elijah Pritchard out of high school. He definitely got the esteemed – and a much sought after Dancing Bear title. He was a great looking kid. I think he was me- measuring in 270, 280 range and looked looked like he was 210 pounds. His frame was a 220 pounds. His frame was incredible. Looked like a tight end um, to me in a lot of ways. So upside. But I agree with you. I think this is the time. If you're going to experiment, you do it now, trying to get to what you're going to see in August. You know, you kind of sort of get. Also, it's a chance to see. Maybe this is our guy, or maybe this is a guy, but we need to work on two things, you know, to get him to that left tackle spot. So I was excited to see the move around. And I did think that that lineup has a lot of athletes. There's a lot of there's a lot of guys in there that, you know, that I like coming out of high school. And we've seen a few of those guys already do their thing. But I thought it was, you know, the biggest story so far. Yeah. And look, we've heard Nick Saban say it many times before looking for the best five and. If that entails Pritchett at left tackle um, and Latham at right, and maybe Deary and Dahlcourt in there at a guard position, I don't think anyone would be totally surprised by that. It, it's always that quest to identify the best five and then 
figure out how to make them work together. Goes to Bryant here in the mailbag, Tim. If you had to make a pick right now, who will win the men's basketball national championship? And if Alabama were to win it, will Auburn fans' heads explode when Alabama does? Um, you picking Alabama, Tim? I, I mean, if I have to pick somebody, I, w- I would definitely go with the one seed with a with a decent draw to get you know um, to continue uh, on in the tournament. I mean, there's other talented teams. I mean, I think Houston's good. Um, I've seen other teams that are going to be competitive. You know, Connecticut's out there. Arkansas is hitting their stride right. There's other teams. Michigan State, I mean, you can't really sleep on an Izzo team. I think at this stage of 16, you throw the seeding out for the most part. I think you should. So, but if we threw the seeding out, hypothetically, all the seeding, yeah. if we reseeded this tournament, like the NCAA tournament, is a top 16 tournament, who would be the one seed? Alabama would still be the one seed. To me, that's that's as simple as who I think uh, is the favorite to win it right now. Until and right now, though, who would be your two? I really like that Houston team. So um, I got UConn. I, I got a sense that UConn's getting back to that level they were at early in the season when they hammered Alabama pretty good out in the Pacific Northwest. I, I, if I weren't going to pick Alabama to win it all, I think UConn might be my pick right now. Yeah, I just UConn's got a tough road. They got Arkansas the next. I know, but I think I, I, I think I think their maturity is going to win out in that game, and they're just good enough. It's just a much – for me, it's a much tougher road. And I agree, you know, the thing about UConn, they kind of mirrored Alabama's season last year. They had their peaks around those Christmas tournaments and kind of struggled in and out, off and on during the regular season. Now, they have made a better run in the tournament than Alabama did, but they they sort of peaked a little bit early and then sort of tampered down during the season. Now they've seen – They've seen the the glow up, so yeah. I mean, that's a they're a good team for sure. Yeah, I think they're kind of built for it, and uh, I think that's a team. If you're an Alabama fan, you wouldn't mind seeing go ahead and check out. Would Thanks be uh, UConn. If you want to talk about a tough bracket, they got some Villanova to them. I guess is what I'm saying. You know, you had Arkansas, UConn, Gonzaga, and UCLA. That's the four in that bracket. Now I know. Yeah. Kansas was the one seed, but Arkansas. I love UCLA too, man. Oh man, yes, Gonzaga. That is a rough. That's probably the roughest four teams um, in this thing. That's probably it's like rough. a Final Four within the final within the the sixteen almost. Yeah. You know, it's just tough because it went one one two three five. But I mean, Arkansas the way it's playing now is a top one two or three seed. You know, yes, yes, Ghost. If Alabama wins it all. Auburn fans' heads will absolutely explode. I don't. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Yeah, I think that. Uh, yeah, I think they might explode anyways. Back to Tuscaloosa here. I haven't seen SDSU play this year, but I've seen some uh, Alabama fans acting like they check under their beds before they go to sleep at night to make sure um, they don't get blowgunned by an Aztec. How do you think Bama is preparing for this game, and what are some things you see from SDSU that could pose a threat for Alabama on Saturday? We we hit on some of this earlier. I just think um, the the kind of game that it turns into, and I think I don't think there's any doubt. San Diego State wants that tempo to be more along the lines of what it prefers, and that means a game in the 60s more so than a game that gets into the 70s or 80s. So. Uh, 
the, the tempo will, will, who's able to dictate that. And then, um, you know, I think as we talked about earlier, threes for Alabama is really the determining factor in how competitive games are, uh, when it's able to get its threes up and make them, uh, it's going to beat pretty much anybody in the country. I think what you're going to see from San Diego state though, Tim, is what you saw from Maryland. They're going to run Alabama off that three point line and make Alabama win the game from inside the arc. What about you? Yeah, I think that's what they're going to try to do. I think Nate Oates knows that's going to be able to attack it a little bit. Alabama had Maryland was a good defensive team to me. I think, I think that would, I think that a lot of times what, what you have a tendency to do is some have a tendency to say how great a team is. Then Alabama beats them by 20. Then they tell us they sucked. I don't think Maryland was a bad basketball team, especially defensively. Um, they were old too, you know? Yeah, yeah, they were mature. Bama had looks in that game though. They just didn't knock them down. They just weren't as open as they were in the first game. Um, Alabama's kind of been a rotating hit it. Don't hit the three. Don't hit the three. Um, that kind of thing. But with Betty Yako, and again, this goes back to Pringle. I mean, if they're going to leave the middle open, they're not going to worry as much about the middle and guard the perimeter. A guy like Pringle could definitely get off. A guy like Gurley can go inside and outside. He's going to get off. And Miller, who's been really good getting to the cup, um, he, he could have a huge game just driving to the basket. I mean, when he gets, if you get him moving to the basket, there's not a lot of height to challenge him at that rim. No, that that's I think the I think that's the point, too, is the length of Alabama and with a Betty Ako. And I think can Betty Ako stay on the floor? You know, something he's been able to do a better job of, it seems, Tim, is avoid that two quick ones right in the first five or six minutes. And then he ends up playing 12, 15 minutes in a game. Uh, he's been able to stay on the floor for 25 plus minutes more of late. Uh, and if he's able to do that on uh, Friday, then absolutely not just him uh, and and not just Clowney, but you got to deal with a six, nine guy out on the perimeter and Brandon Miller. Um, you know, that, that that's, that's not a great matchup for San Diego state, which again, as I said earlier, more about bulk than it is, uh, than it is length. Tuscaloosa going to check in again here, by the way. Yeah. He hooked us up, but nobody else was coming at us. So <laughs> Travis, as the resident women's basketball aficionado, do you think Christy Curry is here to stay for a while? Um, I, I think so. Uh, I know it was a disappointing end for the Alabama women's team. Uh, seeing an 18-point lead after the first quarter go out the window in that first-round loss um, to Baylor. Uh, but Alabama has been to two tournaments in the last three years. I think that's a, that's a clip that Greg Burns is going to be fine with. Um, I think, you know, Alabama women's basketball will be as good as Alabama wants it to be. What does Alabama really want to put into the program? I'm not talking about in terms of going out and trying to hire a Kim Mulkey for a couple million dollars a year. I'm not saying that. Uh, even if it is Christie and her staff or her regime that stays for an 11th season, uh, what's the commitment from Alabama to take it from relevant to the NCAA tournament discussion to a player? in the NCAA tournament. I think that's still a, a discussion that Alabama has to have internally. Uh, Tuscaloosa also asking about Shelton State women's coach Madonna Thompson, former Alabama player. Has she ever been given any consideration for that job? If not, why? I think she has in some previous hiring cycles. Uh, Madonna, to me, is an elite Division One coach, and that means I think she could coach Power Five, any level. I think she's been very comfortable 
at Shelton State. So when I hear folks say, well, if she was that good, she already would be in Division One. Well, if you don't think Madonna Thompson has been approached with Division One offers, you, you don't know what you're talking about. But um, I think Alabama is obviously a place she holds dear to her heart. Uh, great coach, got her team once again in the national tournament out in Lubbock starting later today. So uh, absolutely, I think uh, Madonna could get it done. Back to Tuscaloosa. <laughs> He's staying with the women's basketball, Tim. He's asking about the lowered goal thing again. What is it What is it with the lowered goal with this guy? They think these girls can't throw a basketball 10 feet. <laughs> I mean, it is so – And you well, know, let, me, let me tell you what's surprising. And I'm not going to say anybody's name, Charles Pop. But I have friends who also said this separately in a different discussion. Yeah. Well, said like, and I don't watch women's basketball, I'll be clear. But they say they miss a lot of free throws. I mean, not yeah, a lot here, of layups. Here's the thing Alabama, the in it, Alabama in its loss to Baylor, Tim, you know how many threes Alabama made in that game? They made 14. They got the ball up there just fine. It wasn't the it wasn't the, the the goal being too high, or they couldn't shoot well enough. They made fourteen of twenty six threes and lost. But they so, say there's a lot. Is this true? Is there a lot of missed layups in women's basketball? I don't I don't think so. I mean, I, not not, un, not uncontested layups. Yeah, I mean, if you're finishing through traffic, yeah, it can be hard at any level, and regardless of men's or women's. And I see, you know, Tuscaloosa's right. I heard the same thing about Brandon Miller learning how to play on a lowered goal. What the hell do you think all these kids play on now as five-year-olds? You yeah. think they come out playing on 10-foot goals? Have uh, you been to a para game lately? You know, yeah. all three of my kids played the rec basketball. And, you know, the goals they started on were maybe eight foot. So Brandon also, Miller's not special in that regard. They also you know? have that goal that, like, hangs off the real backboard. That's what I'm saying. So it's not um, upward bound, outward bound, whatever bound. You know, they're not playing on 10 foot goals when they're five. I think he's trolling me there. He is. He's good at it. You know, Jam Bama's hits us with a with a flurry here as we wrap up the mailbag. Um, what's more overrated ND are combine results. What does he mean by ND there? What am I missing? Um, Notre Dame. <laughs> Probably so. Probably is talking. I mean, I don't. I guess I was trying to draw the correlation between ND and the combine, but yeah. Um, I'll go with ND. <laughs> yeah, I, I think history tells us Notre Dame. I think uh, maybe Tommy. I think maybe Tommy Reese felt the same way. You think? Yeah. I mean, I think combine results are important. I think it's more of a gauge. I mean, I'm I'm an old school guy, and I you know what? If I was 20, I would believe this. I think you you know. You trust in what you see. So it's great. To me, the time is to confirm what you think you saw with your eyes. But we've seen guys that probably didn't run as well with a stopwatch as they did with while they were running a route. I mean, we've seen guys that outplay their speed. We've seen fast guys that couldn't play the game of football. So I like the combine for what it is, but I think people get too carried away. And the one that stood out the most, do you remember? I mean, this is the main one was the dude the Eagles drafted at like seven back in the Out day. Out of Boston College, yeah, the pass this rusher. Guy, this guy just, I mean, and I think, you know, the thing is, I looked him up when they were talking about the NFL's biggest bust. The guy was not a bust. If he'd have been a second-round pick, nobody would consider him a bust. He had, he played for a while and did that, but he, like, blew up the combine, um, went seventh in the draft out of the blue. So, I mean, to me, I'm more of a, you know, let me see him in the, you know, in the film. 
I know an NFL team staffer pretty closely, as you might expect, who has been to at least 15 combines and, and, and most of those in succession. And I've asked him point blank, how, how important really is the combine? And his answer was other than the interviews and the medical, not, not much that that's really the things that they put the most stock into up there is the medical and the, the, the individual uh, interviews. I think you know? it has to be a massive part because you can tell, you know, when you do it for a what living. You, what are you getting? Yeah, yeah, when you do it for a living, I mean, people underestimate that because, you know, I've talked to, they said, oh, you can BS through an interview. You you can really can. I mean, these guys are like professional profilers. I mean, they have guys, mm-hmm. this, this is a serious business where they're, you know, they're going to be able to sense something's off with an interview just like with any job. So yeah, the combine, the combine's become a television show. That's what the combine is now. You know, that's the the biggest importance uh, to the NFL and to its network uh, and, and the likes of ESPN is it's great content. You know, it's basically a week of heavily, um, heavily viewed, consumed traffic and, and content. So that's essentially where the importance of it is these days. And I think what you're going to see too, Tim, I don't know. I think you're going to see the NFLPA or some some semblance of that say, look, if you want these top guys to actually participate, you're going to pay them. You know, it's not just going to be enough for them to show up and uh, they'll show up and they'll still show up and go through the medical and the interviews. But as far as into on the field stuff that, uh, you know, they televise. I could see that day coming. Jam Bam is also asking thoughts on the potential for Noah Clowney to return. What do you think, Tim? I, I've seen some mock NBA drafts, and it looks like Noah's pretty popular in that first round. Now, it's not lottery first round, but maybe the back half of the first. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, this just comes down to what he thinks he's ready for. Me personally, I think he's a he's a top five-ish type pick um, overall at some point i don't think it's going to happen this year obviously but i mean it just comes down to is is, is the lottery enough the back end is the uh, first round enough i mean i remember i mean that's, that's a lot of money in there but you also comparing five to 18 you're lo- you know you're leaving a lot of money on the table if that's your upside of potential and of course there's the risk that's there i've got a couple guys telling me that he would probably be 20 plus in the draft right now now i will say and i'm going to keep saying that very much like Primo, which is also, I said that, his workouts, he could easily find somebody to fall in love with this joker. I mean, he is long. He can shoot. He's going to interview well. They're going to love him off the field. I mean, off the court. He's going to be a guy that's going to get praise from the Alabama staff. So he's going to check a lot of boxes considered. I mean, this wasn't even a very highly recruited guy. Alabama loved him. I had people in Alabama telling me this guy's going to be an easy first-round pick. I don't know if anybody expected it to be this soon, but I mean, six foot ten, two hundred plus, can shoot the three. I mean, I mean, I'm not sure there's a lot of difference between him and Jabari from Auburn. I mean, uh, from yeah. Auburn, third in the draft last year. I think. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be interesting. That's that's where having that's where having potentially another year with Pringle could be huge, right? If Noah goes out, um, and then Pringle uh, having another year. Uh, could be that kind of guy next year, thinking big picture there. Right. Yeah. I hope, I, hope, I mean, Pringle's another one. 
Um, but with Clowney, I would like to think that if he does come back, that that mock draft the next year, he's going to be a pretty high candidate. Uh, Top ten, yeah. This is a you know this is a draft where you automatically come in with the French kid who's a you know you know a, a number one like seven one. eight. Yeah, so you're already getting him out. And then you got Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson. That's three top five picks. So this one's a little bit crowded. I will say the class next year, next year is a lot less certain at the top. I mean, there's not, there's a big debate about who's even number one in that class. So could be a little bit more uh, wide open to get in that top 10. Yeah, and uh, this is where NIL could come into play to an extent too. So uh, keep that in mind, Alabama fans. <laughs> Um, how much has JQ improved his draft stock this year? Jam Bama asked. I got to think considerably just as much as anything, Tim, what he's shown in, as far as his health is concerned, I, this guy from the, from the drop since he hit the court this season coming off that knee injury, you, you would just never know it. You'd never know at this I, time I, a year ago, he was, he was dealing with a torn ACL. It seems impossible. I think he tweeted out or put on social recently. It was a year ago today when it happened, and it blew my mind because it felt like three years ago. When you look at him, there's no way you thought this was 365 days ago. Um, it took a while to get his confidence back, I think. Not as much time as I actually expected, but to get his you know, his court legs underneath him, I think, was the biggest thing. And I remember his first game, he had a couple really bad passes, and I knew his timing was off. Um, his thought was right. It was just the passes, the timing, and all that was off. And we've seen him just, you know, escalate since there, um, accelerate um, to get where he's at. So, obviously, I don't think Alabama is where they are without him. You know, I think that he has played a major. I think it's some, some, I think there would be discussion that he's possibly the MVP in the, you know, since the, you know, the second half, you know, not the second half, but since the, since the end of the year, the last three games of the year till now, there's there's a you can make an argument that he's the MVP of the team. Yeah, if Javon Quinterly isn't there and playing at the level right now, how much do you think we'd be seeing more of a point forward approach with Brandon Miller? Um, and he plays on the ball some anyway, but yeah. I, I think we'd see even more of that if it weren't for what JQ was doing. I thought Brandon might take over that Kennedy Winston role. Um, mm-hmm kind of lead guard that led him to the elite eight you remember when mm-hmm. that was pretty magical um so jam bam also wants to know who is the best recruiter alabama has committed for its 2024 football class is ryan williams out recruiting for alabama oh, right, now. right now yeah i think i don't know if recruiting is the right word kids kids tend not to pressure each other but all the in-state guys are close together um, they all talk, and you know, Mbakwe, Thompson, Sterling Dixon. Uh, I know Julian Say Julian Saying is an ambassador for Alabama when it comes to recruiting. I don't know if he necessarily is out chasing uh, guys down and recruiting them. And also, you got to remember, there's, uh, you know, the Alabama knows some of the guys they take, but this thing's going to bust open in June. That's when you're really going to see the full court press. So some of them could be waiting on the nod on uh, who to chase, you know, who to go chasing. Yeah, that always helps, right? A little direction of actually who is committable at the time. Jam Bama wraps us up in the mailbag. Wants thoughts on Alabama baseball at this point and expectations for this Alabama baseball team. Got a nice win over UAB at the Joe on Tuesday night. Scored, I think, 12 runs in that win. 
Runs were a little bit difficult to come by in some ways in that SEC opening series at Florida, but Tim, they do salvage a game of the three down in uh, Florida, uh, one and two in the league with Kentucky coming to town this weekend. And they had a chance to win two games there. I mean, I oh, that second game that yeah, hurt. That, that second yeah. game, and I'll tell you this: I mean, in, in, in baseball, such a fickle sport. But I was pretty impressed they could win the third game after that heartbreaking second game loss. I mean, a lot of times you just it's hard to get back up for that, especially against Florida's number one, right? They're up there. I mean, for I sure. I thought they're they're pretty high. So I mean, you know, I thought it was a good showing. I mean, there's been, you know, last night I think he's still Bohan's trying to figure some things out. The starting pitcher got hit really hard. I think they had four singles in uh, the first inning. They ended up with a really nice double play to get out of it. Um, really put it on them later. So I mean, it's 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 a uh, it's it is hard. I think those middle those middle week games are particularly hard when you're sandwiched between you know, two SEC opponents that are ranked. So I think, I don't know, baseball's hard for me because, man, I just don't feel like they're on the level playing field with a lot of teams. And um, I just don't know how you how you get around that. You know, I don't yeah. know. You got, you know, you got scholarships, you got NIL. I don't think Alabama's getting a lot of stuff done there. And you play in a division that's just, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. The conference is bad, but damn, the division's even worse. Yeah, you know, it, it, look, just a tough deal. I I think you hit on it. To win that third and final game in Gainesville was impressive because the heartbreaking sort of fashion in which Alabama dropped game two, a game I'm sure it felt like it was at least somewhat in control of heading into the late innings of that one uh, to bounce back. And, at least, you know, the thing is, you're going to lose road series in the SEC. You are probably more than you're going to win. It's a hell of a league. When you go on the road, it's even tougher. And so uh, what you got to avoid is the sweeps. You know, you got to win one. And so they were able to do that. Drew Williamson has just been really good um, throughout the season. He had a good weekend down in Gainesville, hit another home run against UAB on Tuesday night. So um, Colby Shelton has been phenomenal uh, with 11 home runs. A guy like Andrew Pinkney is is going to be better. Uh, than he was in Gainesville. Had a rough weekend. I think he was one for 11 in that series. So, um, you know, it's it, you're going to go through that. Pinkney had, I think, I think he sh- struck out eight times in 11 at bats. That you know, he's he's going to be better than that. I pull up the ESPN rankings. It's LSU one, Florida three, Vandy four, Arkansas five. Yeah, they, Florida was two last weekend, I think. Yeah, they're up there. South Carolina at 11, Tennessee at 12, Ole Miss at 13. Then you got Texas A&M at 21, Missouri at 22, Kentucky at 23. That's 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 ridiculous. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That's a, I mean, for everybody, it's ridiculous. But, you know, for Alabama and, you know, not playing with the same scholarship and money and, and stuff, I think, it's, I think it's a tough road. There. I'll tell you what I did like about that game three at Florida. My guy Cade Woods came in and was throwing 96 miles an hour with a with a nine to six hammer uh, or 12 to six hammer uh, on top of it. He I think he faced seven guys down in Gainesville, struck them all out and getting the close, getting the save against Florida. I love that. Um, more of that, please, for sure. How about Riley Quick, too? I mean, yeah, um, I saw him. Riley was funny because Riley, I thought, was such a football, you know, going to be a football prospect. And my second son was playing at the beach tournament down in uh, 
in uh, South Alabama, and I knew the quicks from Riley's recruitment. His dad, Wayne, and I are friends. And I went over one Sunday morning while everybody else was having breakfast. They played a quarterfinal game to watch Riley pitch. Dude, that's a heavy ball that guy threw. And that was as a sophomore. So I knew that as he started climbing up, that that mount, that mount with that pitch in, you know, it was it, there was a chance. I actually thought he might end up drafted as hard as he throws some kind of reliever down the road. But, yeah, he, he's showing these. He was a big get for Alabama. Yeah, he, you know, he got roughed up a little bit down in Gainesville in that second game but the fact that he's in that rotation even from a reliever's perspective going into the first conference weekend tells you about the the upside and the future that he has uh for the crimson tide baseball team what about expectations i mean you you said it earlier you alluded to it uh not exactly an even playing field as we know for alabama baseball in comparison to pretty much all of the the SEC, with the exception of maybe a very few, um, is, is regional appearance on a pretty annual basis, in your opinion, is that a realistic expectation? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think so. This early, based on what we saw, they hit the ball. They're going to put the ball in play, which is a which is a huge advantage. Um, and also back to that not a level playing field. I knew it was kind of different. I'd heard the stories. Well, when my, my son was being recruited, he had teammates, a couple of them went to actually went to Mississippi State that he played travel baseball with. And their dads were telling me the stories. They would, it was so much cheaper and easier to go to Mississippi State than it was to Alabama. Um, yep. It really was wild. And that's one of the reasons Mississippi State, you know, probably has a better baseball program, too. I think they get the out-of-state waivers or even tuition waivers. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Basically, they're waiving it. Um, one of them was one of his best friends from Clanton, a big, big left-hander, you know, uh, big upside starting pitcher. He's known for a long time. Yeah. We're not getting out of here until we go to my one subject I wanted to discuss. Is it documentaries? Absolutely. It's documentaries. All right. Hit it. Absolutely. What is your favorite or a couple of favorites? Or my documentaries. Yeah, what is your favorite? Because, I, dude, I loved it. When you mentioned it last night, I love documentaries. I never really thought. Well, how, how many- I, when it comes to the streaming platforms, that's mostly what I am, is a documentary guy. I love the documentaries. Um, gosh, favorite? Uh, favorite would probably be Decline of the Western Civilization Part 1. I think maybe I've mentioned it in the past. It goes back and takes a look at really the the punk rock music scene in Southern California in the, like the late 70s. We're talking about bands like Black Flag, uh, X, Fear, Circle Jerks. Uh, it, it's just a I, I love it. I've, I've, I, in terms of how many times I've watched a documentary, that one is that the top of the list i mean there's so many great ones i thought supersize me in terms of eye-opening right the ones the that one i saw how much salt was in ketchup i was like i had had nightmares for a while after watching supersize me ate that and gained that weight and ended up in the hospital um Uh, or whatever he was the one for me that i think the, the 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 biggest shock now one of the things i do is i don't really research any shows or movies I like. I kind of look, do I get a feel I want to read? 
what's the subject matter. I don't care about ratings. I don't care about other people's opinions. And then I'll watch it and form my own opinion. So I went into the jinx completely blind. And Robert Durst is, was the most insane human being. And at the end, when he told on himself, was the most shocking Hmm. Uh, shock. I mean, he literally ran it himself. It was the the ending is one of the most shocking I've ever seen in a documentary. But I will tell you, there's two like kind of on the dire end. There's one called Gray Gardens that's super creepy. Um, it's just got a weird vibe. It's about these people that were kin to Jackie Onassis. They were they were living in squalor in this old mansion that was breaking down, and both had the same name. Their both name were were Edith, and they called him Big Eddie and little Eddie or little Edie. And uh, it's just a sad, I'm like, they're living in this old mansion. I've seen red books about it that were fiction. And I had, uh, had seen movies about it, but they're literally living in an old rundown mansion with no income. That was, that was pretty wild. One of mine that I've, a couple that I've watched lately, muscle shoals is another music based. It's tremendous. I, I could put muscle shoals on every morning with coffee and do that every day and just let it run while I have coffee. Uh, even in the background, I, I could do that with Muscle Shoals. It's it's exceptional. And what I just caught was Mr. Saturday Night, and it's about, it features Robert Stigwood. He was this Australian uh, music business, uh, entertainment business cat back in the mid-'70s. He's the guy who signed John Travolta to a three movie deal for a million dollars back then. And people were like, wow, you know, they thought that was a lot of money. Well, then Stigwood goes on to produce both Saturday Night Fever and Grease. Those are two of the first three for John Travolta in that deal. And he also produced the soundtrack for Saturday Night Fever, Tim, what, 50 million plus copies sold of that baby. And as part of his deal, he got $4 per copy back in the mid seventies of that album, of that soundtrack. Uh, I, I thought it was just incredibly yeah. fascinating how all that sort of came together. And it was this guy from Australia and he essentially did those things. And then he went and retired on his yacht. You know, he just took his like 700 million and, and walked off. I blame. I tell you one, I could watch any, I do watch it anytime. As long as I still watch hoop dreams. Oh, yeah. Not if we're that, talking the sports ones, yeah, Hoop Dreams is up that, there for sure. That kind, of, that kind of set it off for me. Obviously, last I agree. Day, Hoop Dreams kind of had like a the human element in that. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm an AAU basketball guy, and it'd be the, the human element in it and the both sides of the of the track, so to speak, ones at a private school, ones at a, a public school. It was just an amazing, it was just an amazing story. I agree. It, I yeah. think it holds up. I mean, it's got to be what? It's got to be close to 30 years old, maybe. At least. It's, yeah. You can watch that today and get it. Because it, nothing's really changed. You still have – that's the basketball struggle for a lot of people. I think you said it. I think that's what sparked the 30 for 30 franchise, you know, that we've had since. There's a lot of those. I love the uh, – I still love the Escobar. Pablo built a soccer team. <laughs> <laughs> I still love no pressure, no pressure on those guys, right? I didn't love the Ravens one though. Before we go, I didn't love the Ravens. One. I didn't think it. Um, I like that Saragusa uh, was able and included That's in it. Good to see him, especially how that timed out with his passing. I'm with you though. It, it didn't really, it didn't really do it for me. Yeah. Um, 
you see enough of the back. I mean, they were talking and leading. To me, it was kind of cheesy. and Yeah, it was um, almost like a roast, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I was just, I, I mean, I'd heard so much about it. I thought, you know, I, I was expecting next level because some of my friends. And I'll tell you this, the one, this is a warning for documentary watchers. If you're for, if you're taking a recommendation from someone that doesn't regularly watch documentaries, you got to be careful because they'll think something's great that you'll think is not very good. Easily. That's why you when you have somebody that's seen a lot of documentaries, y'all can compare notes. And my, some of my friends that basically are like, you only watch documentaries, they give the best reviews. But mm-hmm. uh, I'll tell you the last one was that I saw during COVID was the uh, – Ken Burns Vietnam one, which I never anything would, anything he touches, yeah. I, I never would have watched that. I mean, I'm not, I don't really not a a war buff or anything. It's kind of it's kind of depressing, really. But I never would have watched that from a time restraint, or I just never would have invested. And that was that was, I mean, it was absolutely incredible. I watched his those twice. It was amazing. His baseball um, doc. You don't yeah, even have Jack, to be a baseball fan. Jack though. Robinson, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, it's, that's a great. That was a great one. I'll tell you the thirty for thirties. Uh, Pony Excess for me is still at the top. The SMU. Yeah, <laughs> the SMU and the '80s stuff is just—it's awesome. I just love it. I watch it once a month. USFL one's really good too. Now it is. It is. Trump rolling in. You got. You got. Oh uh, yeah. You got all those teams and different things. So they all made. They all. They all made that gentleman's agreement, Tim, that they wouldn't go crazy on the salaries, right? And then that lasted about maybe a month. You know, you start getting Herschel Walker signed and all those guys. And it sucked, man, as a Jacksonville Bulls fan back in the mid-80s and having a team. And uh, it, it stunk that it went away as quickly as it did. And speaking of which, I think uh, I think we're about to dip. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, it's been a good one. Catch up after two weeks. We got this. Get together next week and hopefully yeah. talking about a possible final. We're talking about the final four. Wow, that'd and be something. Is around the corner, Major League Baseball. Absolutely, and uh, we're right there for you at BamaOnline.com. Hang out with us on the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the globe. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, the Bama Online podcast, hopefully you'll do that. And if you would leave us a rating and a review, that would help us out and be greatly appreciated as well. Talk to you soon, Tim. All right. Sounds good, brother. For Tim Watch, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us right here on the Bama Online Podcast. Till next time, so long, everybody.